Uh, we're going to wrap up our What is Church series today, and we're going to continue the conversation in a different form starting next week on a series that we're going to be looking at the life of Jesus and the life he's invited us into as believers. So uh, we'll be continuing to echo the themes of what church looks like in the 21st century biblically, but today we're going to kind of end the What is Church official series. And so if you've been following along, you know that we've been doing a deep dive, taking a look at what the church is in the Bible and what it should be today and where we as an American church at large and we as Bethel OKC, how are we measuring up to what's in the word of God? Because essentially that's what we're going for. Amen. Um, so you guys have heard me say that the church or the body of Christ is the mechanism that God has chosen to grow people into maturity. So uh, it, it does two things, actually. And one of the things that the body of Christ does is make you mature. And you might be saying, well, why do I need to be mature? I mean, doesn't God love me as I am? Yes, he does love you as you are. But the scripture is full of examples where God is challenging us to move from where we are into a greater expression of him. So if you're taking notes, you can write down 1 Peter 2, verse 2. Hebrews 5, 11, and 12. Hebrews 6, verse 1. I know I'm going too fast for y'all. Uh, <laughs> I'll repeat. 1 Peter 2, 2. Hebrews 5, 11, and 12. Hebrews 6, chapter, verse 1. And Ephesians 4, 13, and 15. These are just four of the scriptures in the New Testament that challenge us to become mature sons and daughters of God. We talked about the, one of these last week, Hebrews 6, verse 1, that talks about putting aside the elementary teachings and progressing into the deeper things, right? So it is true, God loves you where you are, and also God wants to make you like him, which is the process we will be on our entire lives. So the church becomes the platform, the mechanism, the, the instrument that God uses to grow us into his likeness. And the other thing that the church does is the church, or the body of Christ, and, and if you are new to this series, then you might not know, when we say body of Christ, we're not just talking about this local expression, we're talking about all the people who find themselves in the kingdom of God, right? Because Jesus only has one body. He's not a one head with multiple, he's not like a, a weird you know, zombie figure or a dinosaur or some kind of thing like that. He is one body. So everybody that says yes to the Lord is in his body. And the body of Christ is the display of his image and his glory. So you might be saying, well, aren't people the display of his image and glory, right? And they are. Genesis 1, 2, and 3, we get the creation story. You guys familiar with the story? And in this, we see that male and female were created to be like him, that in the image of God, he created them. So we hold both the image and the likeness of God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, okay? Hopefully, we all know this. And as we progress in Genesis from about chapter 6 to about chapter 11, we see an interesting story where God gets really upset with mankind. And if you're not familiar with God being an emotional God, just read the first 10 chapters of Genesis. It's, it reads like a Hispanic soap opera, you know, like there's knives, there's, you know, surprises, there's weird things happening, and it's awesome, and it's enticing, and it's fascinating. And what happens in Genesis 6 is the Tower of Babel, and we know this story, right? We've talked about this extensively. So the people come together to build this tower to get to heaven, and they're not doing it for God, they're doing it to usurp God. And God looks down, and I'm paraphrasing here, he says, well, this is not good. <laughs> Look at how, what they can do when they put their minds together. And he actually, if we piece together some scriptures in Deuteronomy and Genesis 6 and Genesis uh, 10 and 11, I believe, 
we see this picture that God actually disinherited people. Now, we've talked about this a lot. You can catch this on the podcast. Uh, But he disinherited people. And so this is what he did. He drew on the ground, essentially, I'm paraphrasing. He created boundaries of countries, and he gave the peoples to principalities. And so then the peoples became under the lordship of governing spiritual beings. And God had a portion of land, a portion for himself, which is Israel. And he goes into Babylon, and he selects for himself. He starts over. He selects for himself Abraham and Sarah. You guys catching this? So this is Genesis 1 through 11, paraphrase. And he brings Abraham and Sarah out, and he makes for himself a people. Now, why is this important? Because he had already made himself a people, right? In Genesis 1, in the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. And then he rejects them. And then he starts over with Abraham and Sarah. Why is this important? Because just because you are human doesn't mean you're in the body of Christ, okay? What's interesting to me about this is that the church is the display of the image and the glory of God, and where it was supposed to be, mankind was the display. Does this make sense? But because of sin, because of the fall, God rearranged a little bit, and then he made Israel. So from pretty much Genesis 10, I believe, I can't remember when Abraham comes in, somewhere around there, Genesis 10, until the resurrection moment of the cross, all that time period, the only display of the image of God was the Israelites, the Hebrews, the Jews. That was the only way you could display God on the earth. Post the resurrection, God invites all people into him, so all of us who say yes to him and his salvation are his body and the display of his glory. Is this making sense to you? This is why the local church and the church at large is so important to God, because we are the only way his image gets reflected onto the earth, because we are his body. I didn't choose this, he chose it. So although you and I might say, Lord, really there's some, you know, we could strategize, pull out the whiteboard, come up with some better ways to do this. God says, no, 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 I don't have a plan B. This is the plan. You all are my body and I will lead you. Oh, okay, great. And if you want to be in my kingdom, you're in the body. And if you don't, that's okay, but you're not. That's the heart of God, right? And so the local church is incredibly important on the earth because not only is this the mechanism that we grow into maturity, we grow into the likeness of Christ, but it is the avenue that God displays his glory. Does this make sense? All right, so today what we're going to do, and we've been talking so much buildup toward this, but we're going to actually look at what is church in the Bible. You guys okay with that? So here's the truth. We're going to take the Bible, and I'm going to try to condense it into three things. This is... Not really possible. You guys know this, right? So what I've done is I'm going to show you a bird's eye view of what is loads and loads and loads of scripture. We just don't have the time to do a verse by verse on this. But when I look at the New Testament and I look at Jesus's ministry, I see three themes of types of gatherings that are there, okay? So this is what I want us to look at today is that in the New Testament, God's church gathered in three different expressions, It's interesting because God himself is three different expressions, right? And so what we see in the New Testament is that each of these gatherings actually had priority in the believer's life. They didn't pick and choose one or two. They actually were heavily involved in all three. So let's look at what they are. The first one is the the gathering of teachings, okay? So... Uh, Some of you guys have seen my, I'm really good at stick people, so here we go, among my many hidden talents, as you can see, I'm using sarcasm. 
wow, that person has deformities. We need to pray for them. They've been healed. Praise God. Okay, so uh, this is gathering number one. This is like the teaching component. This is what's happening right now. You guys are sitting. You're learning, right? And we're in this. This is the American church, yes? When we think about America, we think, ding, 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 we are good at this. You show up five minutes late on a Sunday. You take your seat. No one sees you. I know some of you guys are like, wow, I feel called out. It's okay. We do see you. We just choose not to say anything. So you come in, you take your seat, you listen, then you leave. End of story. Check. I've done church, okay? So this is actually a part of the gatherings in the New Testament. In Jesus's ministry, we actually see this happening a lot. We see him having um, like the Sermon on the Mount, great example, right? They gathered to hear him teach. In fact, quite a bit. He'd take the boat He'd go out into the water a little bit because there's some sort of science phenomenon that when you're on the water like that, it amplifies your voice is what they found. And so he would go on the water and he would preach to people on the shore and he would tell them parables. He'd talk to them about the kingdom, right? We understand Jesus was a teacher. That's why he was called rabbi. And so this is a very valid and viable expression of church in the New Testament. It is not the only expression of church, okay? So in the New Testament as well, besides the Gospels, we actually see things like Acts 20. Anybody know the story of, how do you pronounce his name, Euchides? I think his name is translated to Lucky. None of you guys know this. Acts 20, verse 7. Look it up. This is the guy who falls out of the window and he dies. Anybody know this story? It's the weirdest story that's in the Bible. I think Jesus left it in there just to keep us on our toes. Paul's teaching. They gather to hear Paul teach. And he was teaching all night long. Long. Now, you guys get annoyed with me if I go past 1230, right? And I get that. I'm annoyed with myself when that happens. This was like hours and hours of Paul teaching, so much so that Mr. Lucky, sitting in the window, third story up, begins to doze off. And he falls out of the window and he dies. This is Acts 20. If you don't know the story, you can look it up. And when he falls out of the window, they're on the third story, Paul freaks out. He runs down all three stories and he throws himself on this guy's body. Now, if you remember, the rules about corpses still apply, okay? So this is a big deal. And Paul throws himself on this guy. He starts praying for him, praying for him. The guy is visibly dead is what the scripture says. And, uh, and he's raised up. And the craziest part of the whole story is he goes back into the room and finishes the teaching. Can you guys imagine somebody falls out of the window dead? We raise them up and then I just pick up. Guys, point two is like nothing happened. (laughs) This is crazy to me. Anyways, it's in the Bible. So this is a gathering around teaching. We also have this scripture. Pull it up in your phones. Acts 2, 42, okay? Acts 2 starting in verse 42. I have this one memorized. We, in our uh, small groups we used to do, we would read this every time we gathered together, so it's emblazoned in my mind. But Acts 2.42, you guys got it? All right, so this is the outworking of the Holy Spirit um, and the, after Pentecost. This is what was happening right after that. It says, They were continually and faithfully devoting themselves to the instruction of the apostles and to fellowship, and to eating meals together, and to prayer. So this is an interesting verse because it actually chronicles the the three types of gatherings and then the personal component of what it looked like to be a believer in the New Testament. Uh, So they were devoted to the apostles' teaching. Your, Your translation might say teaching. So again, very viable application to what is church. But the problem with teaching, 
gatherings is that the emphasis is on what you know, not on what you implement in your life. So the emphasis in a moment like this is, I want you to understand something, but there's not really an avenue for me to hold you accountable to see, are you doing something with what you're being taught? Does that make sense? So the, the greatness of this is that we're learning. The downside is that we're not being held accountable to implement. The Bible tells us that we're not supposed to just be hearers of the word, but what? You guys know? Doers of the word. So we read that and we smile and we still don't do what the word says. I think it's because we have so much of this and not the other two expressions that we're going to talk about in a second that we don't know what to do. Does this make sense? So that's the challenge. Let's, uh, as an American church, and really even as this church as well, I think we lean heavily in this type of gathering. And that's part of it, but not the whole. I want to just make a quick note too about online church and uh, I'm just going to tell you my honest thoughts. I follow this guy. I've been following him for a long time. He actually is the creator of the website that we use, uh, the platform our website is hosted on. And uh, he talks about church trends a lot. And I noticed towards the end of 2020 that he was talking about online church a lot. And he kept making these statements like, online church is the future. I don't see people coming back in the building as much as they were before 2020. And the first time I heard it, I had a little like mini vomit in my mouth. Um, And by the fourth time, I just quit following him. I'm not saying he's wrong in the trend that he's seeing. I'm saying he's wrong that biblically that's okay. Because the truth is, when we are behind a screen, it is good, it's helpful, it cannot be the fullness. It's the snack. If you guys have kids, my kids love Cheez-Its. I don't know why. We go through Cheez-Its like manna from heaven. I mean, if God would just let them appear on the living room floor that God would appear them. They're on the living room floor. Yes, thank you, Grant. Uh, But because they're crumbs out of my kid's face. So if God would just appear them and I could have them harvest their own Cheez-Its every day, that would be amazing. Um, But my kids will eat Cheez-Its from like four o'clock until five o'clock in the afternoon. And then it's time for dinner. And then guess what happens? They're not hungry. They'll order and then they won't eat it. Or we'll give we'll make something for them and they won't eat it. And, uh, and, And that's, I think, what online church is. It makes us feel full, but it's not actually doing the work that church is supposed to do. So it is helpful in a sense. Like there are times where it's a helpful thing. If you're sick, if you're quarantining, if you got right, we know that. And so we want it to exist for that purpose, but it cannot actually substitute church. All right, so the first type of gathering is the teaching gathering. The second type of gathering that we see is gatherings that are related for ministry. So... I'm going to go back to my triangle people. This would be, if you want to go there, 1 Corinthians chapter 14. I'm going to try to draw a flame. Is that a flame? No, that's like a rose thing. It's a flame, guys. Picture that as a flame. Uh, 1 Corinthians 14, we see uh, Paul is talking to the church in Corinth about how they come together, and when they come together, they have a word, a psalm, a tongue. You guys familiar with the scripture? And some have taken that to mean that every time we come together, everyone is supposed to bring something. Some scholars actually believe that Paul was acknowledging what they were doing, not necessarily saying you have to do this every time, but that I know this is what's happening when you do gather. And I think the reason why it's scripture and why it's a mandate for us is to put it in its place in the larger picture of church. There are times when we gather around what we're going to call the presence of God. 
And we're going to call this type of church ministry gatherings. And essentially what's happening in these times is we're allowing the Holy Spirit to show up and use us and do his thing in and through us, okay? So we need times of teaching, but we also need times of the Holy Spirit that are focused on ministry. Our pre-service prayer is probably the best example I can give of this in terms of something we do practically on a regular basis. People come together, we worship a little bit, we begin to pray, we release declarations, we do something different each time, and then we take time to listen to the Lord. Almost every single week, you will see a theme emerging from multiple people that God is saying. Why? Because it's one God saying to his body what he wants for that morning, and it is insane to watch. Time and time and time again, you show up. I think most everybody shows up not having a clue what God is saying. And by the end of 30 minutes, God has a clear word. Am I right? It's amazing. These types of gatherings are centered around the communion of the Lord. So communion is both physical and figurative. So when we're mandated to commune in the New Testament, we are encouraged by God to take the bread and wine, and we're also encouraged figuratively to be the bread and wine in him. Does this make sense? Communion is amazing because it's a prophetic symbol that the, like, just as the bread and the, the wine or the juice get absorbed into your physical body and then you are one with them, that you are also one with him. Does this make sense? So we have to have these times where we are communing together in the presence of God. This often looks like worship, prayer, the Holy Spirit just beginning to flow. Let's just take this morning for example. Um, uh, Cody had this word of knowledge. Were you in worship? Was it worship that you got that? She's worshiping. She sends me a text. I feel like there's somebody here with a neck on this particular spot that wants to be healed. Brandon comes up, says, hey, who has that, right? Both people who have that get healed. That's an example of this right here, the Holy Spirit dispersing himself, doing his thing, and there's a flow of it. Does this make sense? I'm trying to make this as practical as I can. So these gatherings in the New Testament often look like house churches coming together or house churches taking a appointed time to go deep into the Spirit together. Okay, so that's the second gathering. We're going to probably come back to that in a second. The third and final gathering we're going to talk about is the gathering, what I'm going to call fellowship gatherings. So go back to Acts 2, 42. They were continually and faithfully devoting themselves to the instruction or the teaching of the apostles and to fellowship and to eating meals together and to prayer. So what we're going to call fellowship gatherings, going back to my people, they don't have to be this small, but I'm going to make them small in this diagram. In these times, we are actually getting into each other's lives, okay? To be devoted to fellowship is not just watching a football game together. It's not just going to coffee and just catching up on what's the latest happenings with your kids. It's actually getting into the Spirit of God together and, and helping each other grow. Does this make sense? So in Acts 2, 43-47, we actually see this played out. They were devoted to fellowship. So when I look at the American church, I see this primary number one. We are excellent at gatherings of teachings. Every denomination does this really well. Then we see this and we go, there, are, there is expression of this happening, yes. It's few and far between sometimes, but it's there. You can find it. It's there. And then we see developed, uh, devoted to the fellowship, and that's when I begin to say, are we actually seeing a devotion to the fellowship or not? 
And have we thought that sitting in this line is fellowship? It's interesting, in the New Testament, the phrase one another is mentioned, I think, 54 times. That's a lot in the Bible. There is this massive emphasis on coming together and being in real community together. What happens in Acts 2 that's so phenomenal and mind-blowing is that the presence of the Holy Spirit compelled them to live unselfishly. They actually laid down their own property. They laid down their time. They laid down their personalities. They laid down their houses to come together to experience something significant. Now, here's what's, what has to be understood. If you choose to do that devoid of the Holy Spirit, if you choose to move into that type of a community type thing because you think that's what God wants from me, but you're not compelled by the Spirit, you end up in religion and you end up in works-based thinking and it's hurtful to you, right? What happens in Acts 2 is that the Holy Spirit was moving in them in that way. I don't think anyone was really obligated or manipulated to get involved in that. In fact, when we fast forward and look at the story of Ananias and Sapphira, we see that God was actually after authentic hearts, right? They had chosen to be inauthentic. Actually, some people believe they were trying to infiltrate the community of the believers to, uh, to affect chaos there and to do bad things, and, um, and that God knew that. And so this is the story of the ones who get struck dead. You guys know this? <laughs> we're talking about a lot of death today. The guy falls out the window. The other people try to give an offering. Boom, they're dead. It's really awkward in the New Testament. Um, but they were devoted to one another, So when I think about the American church, I see fellowship happening in lobbies of teaching gatherings. I see fellowship happening before and after ministry-type gatherings. I don't see a lot of this kind of fellowship where we come together and we actually allow ourselves to be known. Here's what I think you need to understand. You need the body of Christ in your life, and the body of Christ actually needs you as well. You need the body to help you become mature. What does that mean, to be more like Jesus? You need the body to help you feel a sense of belonging in your life, which we all need. You need the body of Christ to bring encouragement into you. You need the body of Christ so that you can learn what it is to receive from other people. And you need the body of Christ because you have blind spots about yourself in your life. We all do. So it is, it's actually a, a, a thing, a psychological thing, that there are parts of yourself that you physically will, will never be able to see. It's things that you do, how you are, you'll just, you can't, it's kind of like seeing your back, you can't do it, right? And that's a metaphor for life in general. There's parts of you you can't see, and so for you to become like Jesus, you have to have the fellowship of the body in your life. And not only that, but the body actually needs you to be there. The body needs you to help them become mature. The body needs you to help create a sense of belonging in their life. The body needs you to impart your gifts into them, whatever your gifts may be. Some of you guys might be saying, I wish I had the gift of miracles, but you have the gift of warmth and hospitality and making someone feel loved. And if you're not there at that gathering, maybe nobody needs a miracle. So who's going to make them feel loved? It doesn't matter what your gifts are, you need to bring them. The body needs you to encourage them to give and to sow into their lives. Here's what I need us to understand this morning. In the kingdom of God, to be completely honest, there's just no room for our insecurities. 
I have them, you have them, we all have them. We have to check them at the door so that we can actually step into what God is wanting for us to be in balance. It is, it's, we're not really living out New Testament church unless the expression of all three of these things are in our lives. Here's what I need you to hear me say. You get to choose which body you unveil yourself to. That's totally up to you. You get to choose who the people are that you bear your soul to. God gives you that. There's no mandate that says you have to be with this person and you have to tell them everything, right? Even if you go to see a counselor, I mean, if you're uncomfortable with that counselor, you go to a different one. That's, God gives that to you. Like it's your choice to choose who you submit yourself to. But it's a mandate in the word that we gather in these ways. So the three types of gatherings, they balance themselves out like the Trinity, in my opinion, like the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We need an expression of all three in our lives to make us feel whole, to help us grow, to to help us be balanced people. If you don't have a relationship with the Father, there's probably something in there that God wants to fix in you. I cannot live without a relationship with the Father. Like, I... It's bad. I go to a dark place really fast. You gotta have that. But in the same way, if I don't have a relationship with the Holy Spirit, I'm in a dark place on the other side of the spectrum. I have to have his wisdom. I have to have his presence. I have to have his joy. I have to have his joy in my life. Life is too difficult right now to live without the presence of the Holy Spirit. Anybody know that? And in the same way, I have to have Jesus bringing me back to that place of surrender, bringing me back to that place of communion and all the things that he does as our Lord. If that's true in our personal life, this is true in our relational life. You have to have times of teaching, but they cannot be your only thing. You have to have times where you're being challenged to use your giftings. Even if your gifting is bringing the best brownies anybody's ever had, the best chili, whatever, even if that's your gifting, there's no insecurity here. We celebrate that and we're like, yes, do that to the glory of God. No one's looking down on you for coming as who you are, right? They shouldn't be. And if they are, that's that's another issue. So we've got to have this. We've got to have these times where we come together and we just allow the Holy Spirit to move through us. What's interesting about these sort of 1 Corinthians 14 times, or even we, a great example of this is uh, in the upper room right before Pentecost. Jesus ascends and he says, look guys, go gather. And as far as we can tell, there wasn't much teaching happening. They were just together in the spirit praying. And what happens in these times is that it's not like everybody is forced to do something that you're not. Like you might come and say, I don't have anything to give. That's great. What we're looking for is a heart that says, here I am, Lord. If you got something, great. If you don't, great right? And we surrender ourselves to his flow. But these are awesome, and this will grow you, but if you don't have this, you're still off balance. We've got to have an expression of all three if we're going to actually be accurately depicting the New Testament church. So how do you know um, when you're gathering for friendship and when you're gathering for church? Because if you're like me, you're looking at this and you're saying, well, doesn't this feel like when I invite my friends over and we have hamburgers and we sit around and we have a great time? When we look at the scripture, and again, I'm taking a lot of passages and paraphrasing them down, there's three things that I see that differentiate gatherings for friendship and gatherings for church-like things. So this is, if you've ever wondered, 
Uh, if you're a box checker, let's put it that way. If you're a box checker and you're going, I want to make sure I'm right with the Bible on what is church, this is how you look at it. You can assess yourself and say, am I presenting myself for regular teachings? Does it necessarily have to be weekly, but on a regular basis? Check. Am I putting myself in opportunities where the Holy Spirit can use me? Whether he does or not, I'm there. Check. Am I connecting with other people? Okay, here's how you know the difference. Number one, Jesus is central. So we can get together with our friends and we can make fun of each other, we can put each other down, we can watch a movie and Jesus never comes up. That's not church. We can't count that. We count it as friendship, we can't count it as fellowship. Does this make sense? Because when we come together, like Jesus tells us, when two or more are gathered in his name, the key there is that we're gathered in his name, physically in his name, together in his name. Presence. So Jesus is central and worship is central. Worship is not always singing, it's also focus and attention, right? So when we gather in fellowship, even if nobody gets out a guitar, nobody turns on a song, we are worshiping Jesus because our focus is on him. So that's the first one. The second one, how do you know if it's church or if it's just friendship gathering? Communion with God and each other is present. Communion with God, that could be literal, it could be figurative, like we've talked about that we are aware of his presence, inviting his presence in. And the third category is encouraging one another. So I can't tell you how many scriptures in the New Testament talk about encourage one another, exhort one another, build up each other. Proverbs, iron sharpens iron. It is a theme that when we gather in his name, we build each other up. We don't tear each other down. We don't exploit someone's insecurities. We don't, as Ephesians 5 tells us, make coarse jokes. We don't put, make people the butt of jokes. Why? Because that's not church, because that's not God. So if we're going to gather in friendship and do that, okay, you're in friendship. I'm going to save my opinions on that. But if we're going to gather in fellowship, it has to look like godly fellowship because when God is present, people are not diminished. People are supported and empowered. Always. So if you're ever in a fellowship time and you see someone diminishing someone else, you have permission to go, hey, I guess we're just in friendship mode here. Because last time I checked, when we're at church, this is not what happens. Is that too blunt? Sorry. I'm not sorry, but you know. <laughs> As a side note, what's interesting to me is uh, I, started, I started really racking my brain a couple, that's probably two months ago. I was like, okay, in the book of Acts, we see this model for people gathering together for meals and there's communion happening. I was like, where did this come from, right? Because you guys know the mystery that started this series was going, Jesus, you have a plan. Why is the plan not in there? And I don't know if you guys have ever felt that way, but we're, especially as pastors, we're going, all right, we want to be in line accurately, and Jesus talks about his kingdom, his kingdom, his kingdom. He mentions church two times in the Gospels, and he's talking about disciples and making disciples, and he, he doesn't tell you what it looks like, when you should meet, how often, how, you know, like we don't get to check the box of that. I think that's because then we would be moving into formulas and out of relationship, Right? But when I looked at this, I was trying to figure out how did the first church get to where they were? Was it like the move of the Holy Spirit? Was it cultural? What was it? And I ended up discovering that there was a type of gathering in this time period in the Greek culture that was a, it was like a business networking time. And they would come together to eat together. And every time they gathered, there would be a certain Greek God that they were dedicating their time to. 
And so pick, you know, you guys have studied mythology, I'm sure, in school. Zeus, Diana, whoever, we'll pick Zeus for today. And so they, they would gather and they would say, you know, we're meeting on this Friday night or whatever, and uh, we're going to dedicate to Zeus. And they, their diet in their everyday life was primarily Mediterranean lentils, that kind of thing. And so they would pool their money together to buy meat. It was a big deal because they couldn't afford it on a regular, you know, there was no McDonald's back then, so there were no cheap hamburgers. And um, so they would show up to eat meat and to feast together. In fact, a lot of them would actually send over baskets of food to whoever's house they were meeting at to contribute to it. Then they would show up to this feast. And when they would feast, they would network, they would connect together, and then they would dedicate a glass of wine to whatever God they were celebrating that night. So how I don't know how it worked. I'm not there. I don't care to fully learn. But they would pour the wine out as their dedication to whatever God they were acknowledging that night. Then they would feast. And if you were a business person in this culture, your business would be heavily thwarted by uh, not going to those gatherings. That's where the networking happened. A lot of the contracts happened at those gatherings. So do you guys remember that scripture where Paul talks about not eating the meat dedicated to idols? This is actually what he's talking about. He's talking about these type of gatherings. And we know Paul was a businessman, so we can assume he actually went to these gatherings because that's where the business happened. So as the first church begins to emerge, they gather in these gatherings together, centered around a meal. They brought the wine of Jesus there, and they would have a time of communion where they dedicated their fellowship to Jesus, which is interesting to me because they're patterning off of the culture. They're using the culture of the day and redeeming it to the Lord What that says to me on a number of levels, but specifically for this morning, is that God gives us freedom to be who we are and and redeem parts of our culture back to him and let it be an expression of him. So why I say that is because some of these things, the day that they happen on, the time that they happen, etc., is not as important as whether they happen or not. So we don't need to be hung up on, are we meeting on a Saturday, a Sunday, on a Tuesday, whatever, because we want to be completely biblically correct. We just need to be looking at, are we actually meeting? Like, are we actually meeting? Do we think we're going, but we haven't shown up in three months? Do we think we're a part of this, but we actually haven't shared half of what's going on in our life with anybody? If we're going to be the New Testament church, we have to have an expression of all three of these in our lives. So, let me tell you where we're going, and then I want to talk just candidly for a second, if that's okay. We are, as we've been doing this series, and actually this started probably in the summer of last year, as we began to look at our church and look at where God was leading us and say, God, how are we doing measuring up to what's in the word Everything is on the table. Jesus, this church belongs to you. I don't want to hold anything because it's comfortable that you're not in. And as we began to do that, what I realized was, again, we're great on number one. We provide times for number two. And number three, we need to put some focus on. And so what we've decided to do as our team and and where we're headed, and I know a lot of you guys already know this, but we're actually, we've started to uh, rearrange our small group capacity and and we're, we're launching and have launched house churches. And the reason why we're calling them house church, I know some of you guys are like, I hate that name. That's fine. You don't have to like it. 
but uh, <laughs> that's what we're calling it. Um, but the reason we're calling it that is because we want there to be this expectation that when we gather together in smaller times, it is church. That we're not just coming to share a meal together, which is great and amazing, but we're actually coming to commune in the presence of God. Sometimes our house church gatherings will look just like this and that's it. Sometimes they'll look like this and that's it. Is it okay if I share your story? Yeah. Okay, so Brooklyn, come on up here. This is Brooklyn. Uh, hi, Brooklyn. That's the appropriate response. Uh, <laughs> so Brooklyn has been a part of our, our North Side house church that we launched a little over a month ago, six weeks ago or so. And uh, how, how is your, are you still healed? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I figured you good, were, yeah. but just want to make sure before I'm like, tell you the story and we got to repray again. <laughs> so uh, Brooklyn has had psoriatic arthritis for a long time. Like, yeah. How long? Well, um, I've probably had it my whole life, but it was dormant until like a year ago. Okay, so beginning of 2020, she got the flu. It inflamed the arthritis, and she's been pretty debilitated for yeah. a year. Lots of pain, lots of joint stiffness. The day that we prayed for her, which was, I think, two weeks ago, mm-hmm. her, you said your thumb like, was just locked. Oh, yeah. It like, couldn't move at all. Right. So it's like, you know, I mean, the good thing you weren't trying to hitchhike. Right. 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 <laughs> I told y'all I can't keep those weird jokes from happening. It's, yeah, <laughs> yeah. No, 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 I've got, what, I've got a ride. Thanks, yeah. No, so, so we came together for our Northside House Church, which happens on Wednesday nights uh, at her house, actually, close to Lake Hefner. And, um, and so we're there, and we're worshiping. Grant brings his guitar, and we're just, like, going into worship. And I'm just telling you, and I, I'm sure you can attest, it was like the Holy Spirit showed up in the room, and the presence of God was very thick. And also the presence of, I think, Paw Patrol, because my daughter Grace right. was there, and she had it cranked up in the kitchen, and it was like every lull of worship, you can hear cartoons. And I'm just telling you, this is real life, right? And so I'm like, hey, Brooklyn, can we pray for you? She says, yeah. We start to pray for everybody gathers around, and I mean... Something happened. I don't know how long it took for us to pray before you started feeling healing. Do you know? It was like pretty quick, right? It was pretty quick. It was pretty, I mean, pretty immediate. So then her thumb, show him your thumb. Look at that. Look at that. All of her pain left. Her neck was really, really hurting that day in particular. Neck, full mobility, no pain, right? Isn't that incredible? So then the next day she goes to the chiropractor. So tell him about that. Oh, I go to the chiropractor and he's like popping my back and he goes, your joints have never been this easy to align because they're, like, loose again. And I said, well, it's the Lord, so, yeah. That's amazing, right? Thank you. Good to know. That's amazing. What's also amazing about that is that day, Matt, I'm going to call you out too. So Matt, Matt, we're, like, praying for her, praying for her neck, and Matt goes, this is really interesting because the whole day my neck has been hurting so bad, and I almost didn't come because my neck was hurting. I couldn't figure out why. And it wasn't hurting after she got healed, right? That's how a word of knowledge happens sometimes. But Matt goes, I should have stopped and asked the Lord, is this a word of knowledge? So all day I'm suffering and I almost missed this amazing healing that happened because when the Holy Spirit comes, he just begins to flow in community, right? I absolutely love this testimony because I am telling you, as we move this direction and as you guys gather in these house church times, God is going to show up in a way that we have not yet seen. I believe that with every part of my being. When God shows up here, it's awesome. And it's like, it's a specific type of thing, right? You guys know that feeling when you're in a room like this and God is probably, I don't know about this teaching or not, but when you're listening to a teaching and it's touching your soul, you guys know what I'm talking about? And God is there and it's amazing. But it's a different feeling than when you're having something like this. And you can sense that God is there and he's ready to just point his guns at somebody and wreck their life forever, 
And then when you're in this type of a meeting, it's a completely different type of feeling of God. This is why we have to have all of them in our lives. So this is where we're going. I don't know if you guys can put that. I don't know if you still have that graphic about the house church. You can stick it up on the screen. I'll move this so you guys can see it. So we've got three that we've launched. I think we've got some more that are coming on the way. Sorry. Sorry, Candace. <laughs> Thank you, Chad. Wow. Uh, <laughs> So uh, if you want to know where the addresses are, email Cody at Bethel and she'll show you. But here's the three that we have right now. So we've got the North Side. So North Side team, go ahead and stand up. Actually, if you go to the North Side Church, just go ahead and stand up. I know there's some of you guys that are here. All right, so Reese and Krista Black, Matt Grissom, Kelsey over here, uh, Brooklyn. There's others that are in that that I don't think are here today. Uh, so you guys can sit down. If you live on the North Side of town, can, or really if you just want to be in a group with them, because we're not really mandating who you choose to be with. But connect with them afterwards. Get their phone number. This group has a group me. They do announcements on and stuff like that. So you can get that. Okay, the other group that we've launched is the formerly known as Family Small Group, now known as our, uh, what are we calling it? South OKC uh, House Church. I'm still getting used to these terms. All right, so Brandon Adela, Chad and Jenny, and the rest of you guys that are in that group, go ahead and stand up. Sweet, south side, yep. So they are currently meeting on Saturdays. You guys can sit down. You're like, why are you making me stand? I'm sorry, it's fine. Uh, they're currently meeting on Saturdays. Most of our kids, most of our families with kids go to this group, but you do not have to go to this group if you don't have kids. I'm sorry, I said that backwards. You can go to this group if you don't have kids. If you live on this side of town or you just want to be in community with them, that's happening. Did I put it on wrong? Yes, it's, that's the wrong one. Sorry, I forgot to send the updated one. It's on Saturdays every other week. Uh, connect with them. They'll give you the information. And then the last group that we've just launched, which I'm super pumped about, is our, what we're calling our Westmore House Church. They're calling themselves the Freedom Seekers. Is that right? So Garland and Judy, stand up. Steve and Renee, stand up. So uh, you guys can clap for them. They're amazing. Uh, everybody's amazing. Don't feel left out. But they had, I think they've been inviting all of their friends. They had something like 10 something like that. Ten people show up last week on Wednesday night. None of them come to Bethel. The Holy Spirit showed up. It was unbelievable, and uh, it's the beginning of something incredible there. So if you would rather be in their group, go to their group. Connect with them after. It meets every other week on Wednesday nights at 6.30. So here's the thing. My challenge to you is that you would find a group of people that you can have real fellowship with. Because what I know to be true is that without that, we're going to stay in this realm that's good, but we're never going to move into what God really has for us. There is something so significant for your life. What I'm talking about is not necessarily you're going to go do a ministry or anything like that, but that you're going to step into freedom. You're going to step into joy. You're going to have freedom from anxiety. You're going to have healing if you need that. You're going to have empowerment. And all of that is going to happen in our house church times significantly more than it happens in this time. Amen? So let me just, I, I know I'm running a little bit long, but I, I want to just share one more thing, and I want to get really vulnerable with you guys, because what I know to be true, I've been doing small group type things for about 20 years now, and uh, every time I think of a small group, I immediately think of friction. It's not a great thing. <laughs> I should probably think of like happy thoughts, but it's not normally how it feels to me. And in the decades that we've been doing this type of ministry, the truth of the matter is that we've had a lot of challenge as well. It's not easy to be in relationship with people. Anybody that's in a family knows that's to be true. It's not easy. 
When you're in fellowship with people, godly biblical fellowship, confrontation is going to happen. Doesn't mean that it's a bad type of confrontation. I mean, you will be confronted with things in yourself that need to change. Most of us live in the realm of self-preservation so strongly that we reject any type of confrontation that means we need to change. And when we do that, we just don't change. This type of confrontation is not bad. It's not somebody standing you up and pointing out all your flaws. That's not what it is. It's actually the feeling you have in yourself when you begin to realize you need to grow. And that feeling is what we often reject, but that's the, like God designed the church to expose that feeling in ourselves so that we could grow through that process. There's one of my favorite books on, on marriage. It's called uh, Sacred Marriage, and the tagline is, what if marriage was not for happiness but for wholeness? And he talks about going up into a mirror, and when you're single, you look at yourself in the mirror, and you decide what needs to change. Everybody that's married is like, ain't that the truth? And you decide, I don't mind that about myself, so I will not pay attention to that. And then you get married, and your spouse becomes the mirror, and the thing that you thought I don't need to care about all of a sudden is front and center in your relationship all the time, and the spouse is the one that's even just their very presence is reminding you, Right? I think that's what community is like, that sometimes just being in the room with people reminds us of places that we need to grow, but we've got to have our baseline understanding that God wants us to become like him, and that's a good thing. And when that is settled, we'll give ourselves to that process. In my experience with small groups, I've had a lot of groups that were really successful. I've had a lot of relationships that were really successful from that, and I've had a lot of relationships that were incredibly painful that came from that. And I hesitated even sharing this with you guys this morning, but the truth is that I think if we're going to really surrender ourselves to this process, we have to be honest that it is uncomfortable sometimes to be in relationship with people. It's hurtful at times. People walk out of our life. People that we've bared our soul to walk out of our life. It is hard. And I want us to acknowledge that because what we need to do is choose what I'm asking you to do, I guess, is a better way to say it, is to choose to surrender to the process that God has chosen and trusting that there's something good in that. The balance for you is that you get to choose who you become in relationship with. So if you look at all this and you go, look, I don't want to be in relationship with anybody that's in this room, okay. If you're in relationship with somebody and it's biblical, it hits those marks we talked about earlier, that's okay. I don't really care who you're connected to. I care that you are connected to somebody because I know you can't get to where God wants you to go without it, okay? So we've got to surrender. We need to surrender everything about ourselves. We've got to, we've got to surrender our personalities to Jesus as well. We talked about this a little bit yesterday with some training that we did with our house church leaders. It's like when we come into this time and we learn to surrender ourselves, we, we surrender our shyness. We surrender our insecurities, we surrender that feeling that somebody's not going to care about what we contribute. And we surrender on the other side of the coin. We surrender our sense of humor, the fact that we want to dominate the conversation, however else it might be on that, on that spectrum. We come together to be uh, a, a genuine group, a genuine fellowship and, and family. Okay, so where I want to land today is I really want to challenge you guys. If you are somebody that's like me, that has had some challenges with friction in relationships in this way, and maybe it's caused you to just step back and kind of go into self-preservation mode, I want to challenge you to let the Lord into that part of your heart. Just because something happened in the past does not mean it will happen again. Hopefully, we learn and we grow. There's a fantastic book called Relational Intelligence. If you're like, man, I, I struggle with this, get that book and read it. It really helps 
identify how to set, what kind of boundaries are helpful to set so that you don't end up hurt again. But what I know to be true, and I know I keep saying this, but I'm going to say it one last time. What I know to be true is that if we're going to be balanced in the Lord, we have to have all three of these expressions happening in our life. It's up to you. You get to define that. No one is charting to see, you know, oh, you, you didn't come, and that must mean you don't want to grow in God. That's not what's happening here. What our heart is, is that you would look and you would go, okay, God, I want to be balanced in you. I need an expression of all this in my life. Does that make sense? All right, so I, I just want to land by just praying over you guys um, and just taking a second for anybody that would say, man, I need the Lord to heal me. Sometimes it's like internal torment. It's like suspicions and assumptions about how people are going to think about us, and it's even our own insecurities that just begin to like, like just blare in our minds. And other times it's actually external moments like rejections and, and specific interactions that have happened that cause us to feel pain in that. But if that's you, I just want you to close your eyes. And Lord, we just, we just put our, our hurts and the past frictions before you. And Lord, we don't want to be held back because of the past. We don't want to be held back because of something that has happened before, valid, important, but potentially won't happen again. So I'm asking, Lord, that you would release your, your inner healing, your healing over each and every one of us that are, are sensing that this morning. God, would you put a desire in our heart to walk in genuine fellowship with people? Would you put a desire in our heart to, to go the way that you're asking us to go? Remove every obstacle, remove every barrier, in Jesus' name. And Lord, I just release a blessing over everybody that's here listening to this. I thank you for their hearts. I thank you for their desire to, to go after the things of your kingdom. Lord, we just pray increase over all of their lives. Lord, that we'd walk in uh, abundant pres- of the abundance of your presence, abundant joy, abundant peace. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Oh.